1: Abraham Lincoln said, I'm a firm believer in the people. If given the truth, they can be depended upon to meet any national crisis. The great point is to bring them the real facts. Well, good thing he's dead and doesn't have to see what's become of his beloved nation. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my lovely wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so thankful you're joining us. Um, If you're new here, our goal with the show is to just help Christians navigate this increasingly secular and religionless world that we find ourselves in, Um, try to figure Mm -hmm. out how to digest the insanity that's around us, and live a life that's pleasing to God at the end of the day. Hmm. Um. Also, if you would care to support this show in an easy way, I always forget to get this stuff out. I got the banner up there if you're watching the video, but if you care to support this show um, in easy ways, we would appreciate that. And We have affiliate links um, down in the show notes, and those are for christianbooks.com. We do our best to not use Amazon here. Christianbooks.com and then also BestBuy.com, which may seem odd, but you know it takes a good deal of electronics to run a podcast and a video cast, so um, any little bit helps. We also have links to buy me a coffee on there, if you would prefer to just support the show outright. Again, we'd appreciate that. And then lastly, um, you can see I'm wearing a shirt. Um, we have some t-shirts on our website that you can go and purchase. Um, we get a, you know, a pretty small profit from those, but that would be helpful. And we also have new shirts coming out. We got like the original six or whatever. Then we got four new shirts, really five, I guess, coming out next week. Hopefully I'll have them up here mm. to show them on the video cast and they'll be up on the website Um, in honor of, you know, some reformation um, folks. And then just um another good Christian shirt to push back on the spirit of the age and who doesn't want to walk around with John Knox on their chest or <laughs> Jan Hus? I know I do. So, um, today, though, um, we were going to start a series um, of episodes talking about the assurances of salvation. That was originally what we were going to tend to do. Um, But we wanted to get in a review here. So we just ended our look at the road to salvation, our five points of the road to salvation. So you can see those previous five episodes if you go look on the channel. Um, And we were going to dive into assurances, but we thought this is a nice time to take a break, get in this review before we roll into the next 10 weeks or whatever that's going to be. So that's what we wanted to do. We have
2: our assurances of salvation on the website too, though, if you're interested
1: Yeah, we got Road to Salvation and Assurances of Salvation. So if you, by chance, share the gospel with somebody or you are curious yourself on how do I actually know if I'm saved, those are on the website. We'll Mm -hmm. discuss them in more detail next week. Um, But we did want to dive into a documentary review that we just watched last night. And we'll be getting into the news as normal before that. So we won't have a Bible topic this week. It'll be the review. And the documentary we're going to review is The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, that was recently released on the Daily Wire. So that's going to be what we talk about at the sort of that last third of the show. I'll try to have timestamps. If you're listening to the podcast, I'll always throw like timestamps in the video, and I never think about it for the podcast, but I will try to have timestamps in the show notes. So if you care to just move around the episode at your leisure then you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're not there, it's simply because I forgot. So forgive me. Um, But before we get to all of that, honey, is there anything you would like to say?
2: Um, I don't really have any prayer requests right now. Just Well, just praise God. I thought you did well on your sermon, though. You know, we asked you guys to pray. I thought you did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, thank you. If you prayed <laughs> for me, um, I mentioned that I was going to be delivering my first ever sermon last Sunday. You know, I've done the jail ministry Bible study, but there's something different about standing in a pulpit in a church that, you know, takes it up uh, quite a few notches. Pastor was kind enough to let me preach. And yeah, if you're praying for me, I guess you can be the judge. That's going to be our sermon recommendation for this week, is I'm going to ask if you guys care to go and give a listen to my sermon and please offer me some constructive criticism. I am open to that, I wanna be sharpened and I would appreciate if you guys have the time to listen to that and you know, provide some feedback. That would be a blessing to me. Um, all right, let's get our plugs out of the way here. So you guys know we love Cardinal Contingency Solutions and we highly recommend that you give them a call especially if you are in a ministry of some sort and you're getting ready to move on a mission and you know send people out the door, or even if you're just training and preparing, consider utilizing Cardinal as part of your mission's training. They are the best in the world at what they do. They train the U.S. military's um, best fighters. <laughs> they train everybody on... How to hand And I shouldn't even necessarily say fighters because missionaries aren't going to be fighting, but they train you on how to keep yourself out of trouble. What do you do if you find yourself in trouble? How do you prevent more trouble from happening? Well, what if things start to escalate? How do you de-escalate? If things get really hairy, how do you get away? How do you survive in a hostage you know, situation? It's, you know, the full gambit. Nobody's better at training than a cardinal. This is what they do for a living. And I would just encourage you, consider bringing them along. Just reach out to them, phone call, email, see what they can offer for you, whether you've got, you know, your, (laughs) I don't know, uh, Joel Osteen at whatever that place is called that he runs or your smallest, you know, church, (laughs) you know, out in the country, but you're sending someone out the door, call Cardinal, see what they can do for you. Um, You won't be disappointed. And also... You guys know we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Um consider going to search Christian podcast community on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the feed and you get 60 or so good Christian podcasts. Um we're on there. From mostly all indie podcasters. You know, you're not going to get fed, you know, Joe Rogan and NPR by Spotify. It's going to be 60 good Christian podcasters talking about godly things all on one feed. We're on there. Very grateful to be there. So go give them a look. All right. You know what time it is. Do you want to say it, honey? Um. All right. You blew it. You no. guys know what time it is. <laughs> it's time for our to wade through the Slaw of despond. Take our trek through the uh, valley of the shadow of death as we prepare to take a look at the news of the week.
2: I could just say that part.
1: Could have just said it.
2: News of the week.
1: Yeah, but we gotta give some of the pre-music to build up. Maybe I should redo it, make it longer. I don't know. Anywho, we do <laughs> got some doozies, um, quite a few <laughs> news stories to try to get through here. Not all of them we're gonna elaborate on too much, hopefully, but This first story here, do you want to read the headline, honey?
2: Rare slave Bible used to legitimize slavery goes on display in Dutch museum.
1: Yep. And then, oh, do you want to just read? Yeah, maybe this first paragraph. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: A rare edition slave Bible, a heavily edited version of scripture with omitted references to anything that could promote freedom among enslaved people, is on display as part of a Dutch exhibition on gospel music.
1: Yep. And uh, Mm. I got a couple other paragraphs. Do you want to just read these two?
2: Mm -hmm. According to a museum spokesperson, it was in those locations that... Bible texts were used to legitimize slavery, and other texts were censored and kept away from the enslaved. However, these measurements did not prevent faith from taking root on the plantations, the spokesperson added. The passages about freedom that were omitted turned up in spirituals, the songs of enslaved people in the United States. We are very fortunate and proud that we can show this impressive object in our exhibition.
1: Yeah. um, Pretty cool. I mean, terribly sad, but really cool. I didn't know a slave Bible existed. And I just thought that part that he mentioned there, you know, these parts that were torn out of the Bible turned up in these spirituals that he called them, you know, the songs of the enslaved people. And I just thought, like, how great is God and his providence that they tried to steal his word away from them? Yeah. I mean, it's almost Mm -hmm. in like mosaic times like this, just preserved in oral tradition with these slaves through these songs. And they remembered, you know, God's care for them and his providence over them. And, um, Mm -hmm. and then also just the wickedness of man's heart, you know, (laughs) that like you would have God's word. You would understand what part of this book is talking about freedom and you would rip it out Mm -hmm. to hide it from those that you were seeking to enslave. Like, That's the level of self-delusion and wickedness that, boy, is hard to really wrap your mind around. It just
2: makes you see, like, how important it is to know Scripture, like, memorize it. You don't know if something crazy is going to happen. And you got to keep the word going to the next generation and the generation after. I mean, in the Old Testament, God intended for his people to share with the generations after them and so forth. He wanted them to remember, like it was by word of mouth.
1: No, and I agree. And that's, I would say that's also why, you know, maybe learning some of those old classic hymns, the ones that are really sort of rich in theology, Yes. you know, that's storing up, you know, God's word in your heart and stuff, because, you know, When we go to the jail, actually, you know, one of the Mm. videos that we showed to the guys there, you know, we've talked about persecuted Christians and in foreign countries and stuff. And, you know, they tell these stories of like these guys, you know, one was a Russian prisoner in prison for 17 years. But whenever he would find a scrap of paper, he would sit down and write down every Bible verse that he could remember. And then he would, you know, post it in the cell. And I was like, I wonder for any of us, you know, if they sat you in a cell Mm you know, even for two months, let alone five, ten years, what would you actually remember? What verses? Right. You know, oh, I got John three sixteen and, you know, maybe John one one. You know, but if you don't have this stored in your heart, and that's for maybe learning hymns and stuff where you're sort of singing this, you know, deep, sort of rich theology in a sense. But yeah, yeah I it would agree. It doesn't
2: matter if you know chapter and verse. They it doesn't matter. It's like that the was idea just of when keeping it in yes. your
1: brain and in your heart. So when you don't have God's word, you can still ponder it and meditate on it is mm-hmm. pretty important. But mm-hmm. um, this article goes on and it says, in here, while the standard King James Version Bible contains 1189 chapters, the slave Bible has only 282, <laughs> among wow. other differences. And it says, uh, I'm just grabbing random paragraphs here or sentences, but it says um, it includes the removal of the fifth chapter of Exodus, in which Moses demands Pharaoh set the Israelites free from captivity in Egypt before God makes way for them to leave.
2: That's just like assumed, okay, you just take that part out. But I think they can fill in the blanks by themselves, you think? Yes,
1: I'm, hopefully. And it sounds like they did, because, you know, <laughs> Christian faith really preserved a lot of the slaves through that incredible difficulty.
2: Yeah, that's Um, how God addresses himself to them. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt.
1: Yeah, they're like, (laughs) we didn't read that chat. Well, and even just chapter five, you know, that's just really like the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh. It's not all the other 10 times, but it also goes on to say the entire book of Jeremiah, which references making people work for nothing not paying them for their labor, that is omitted. And then it says, among the removed verses is Exodus 21, 16, uh, which reads, and he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So just a cool um, piece of history. Again, terribly sad that that is a part of history, but neat, uh, more so just in seeing God's providence, seeing that, you know, and that's why we've got, you know, up on the back wall here, if you're watching the video, Proverbs 30, verse five, every word of God proves true. It's eternal. You can try to steal it. You can try to silence it. You can try to get Bibles out of people's hands. You can't get rid of God's word. It It's eternal. Um, it's not going anywhere. So just a neat story there. Um. So the next story, not neat, horrifyingly disgusting. Um, But it's something I think we need to be aware of as a part of the world we live in. So do you want to read this headline, honey?
2: Canada euthanized 10,000 people in 2021. Has death lost its sting?
1: Yeah, so I saw this headline here on Christianity Today. Um, However, it's locked behind their paywall for the subscription service. So I did go looking around for it elsewhere. I don't know if I found the exact same sort of story. But I did find this one from, I think this is the Daily Wire, not the Daily Wire, the Daily Caller back from um, August of 2022. So do you want to read that headline, honey?
2: Euthanasia is now a leading cause of death in Canada and ethics. I cannot say that.
1: Ethicists.
2: Oh, ethicists are freaking out.
1: Yeah, I bet they are. Um, do you want to read that? or these two paragraphs here.
2: Euthanasia is now a leading cause of death in Canada, only a few years after being legalized. Euthanasia became a legal option for Canadians 18 years and older in 2016, who had to prove suffering from severe pain and have a reasonably foreseeable death as well as two doctors signing off on the decision.
1: Doesn't everybody have a reasonably foreseeable death? I know. Um, oh. And then there's one other paragraph, I think, or one or two that I wanted. To, if I can find it. Yeah, right here. Do you want to read these two?
2: Now any adult with a serious disease or a mental health reason can seek euthanasia according to the AP the policy is also creeping forward to encompass the mentally ill poor and soon children with some experts saying the law is going too far the law is um, probably the biggest exis-
1: existential
2: I can't say things tonight <laughs> thank you a uh, threat to disabled people since the Nazis program in Germany in the 1930s Tim Stanton, director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at the University of British Columbia, told the AP.
1: Yeah, horrifying. Um, And, you know, sadly, in our world today, um, the world of sickening and pathetic political discourse, this term Nazi, you know, Hitler and this sort of stuff gets tossed around quite a bit. Um, But in this case... It does seem to be almost spot on. So I pulled this from Britannica, the diction- you know, the encyclopedia. And it says here, the T4 program, also called T4 euthanasia program, Nazi German effort framed as a euthanasia program to kill incurably ill, physically or mentally disabled, emotionally distraught, and elderly people. Mm. Adolf Hitler initiated the program in 1939. It, while it was officially discontinued in 1941, killings continued covertly until the military defeat of Nazi Germany in 1945. And sounds like Air Trudeau up there in Canada, picking up right where Adolf Hitler or, mm-hmm. yeah, left off there in 1945. And so Canada is almost quite literally using a Nazi playbook from 19... 19- 30s, 1940s, World War II, um, in their, you know, desire to handle, if you will, the elderly and the disabled and so on. Um,
2: and they said mentally, what did they say? Mentally ill? Mentally, how did they word that?
1: In Nazi Germany?
2: No, we just read it.
1: Oh, the, uh, the mentally ill. Mentally Think Ill. about this. The mentally ill, the disabled. poor. Disabled. So, being poor in Canada, you might as well just be close to death, mentally ill, or disabled. Why would you not? But what if you're just
2: emotionally distraught, just over the culture? I feel emotionally distraught often.
1: Air Trudeau up in Canada would tell you to kill yourself. Why struggle with depression when you could be dead and spend eternity in hell? Doesn't that sound better? These people are insane. These people are children of Satan. We say it all the time. And it makes sense, in a way. Um, When you're a child of Satan, you have no biblical worldview. Um, You're a complete secular humanist, atheist, you can't value life at all when you're just a random collection of molecules, you know, gathered together by nothing more than an accident in time. That's all you are to Justin Trudeau. And if you're poor. Mentally ill, you're just a huge drain on the system. And that's the worst part about it. I mean,
2: it's if you deny God, you hate God, you are your own God. You create your own creation by getting rid of what you don't like. It is, it's you playing God. You're like, I don't like this. We're going to change it. It is. That's exactly what it is. Most
1: certainly, it's them saying, I mean, you hear this all the time with these godless people. Well, it looks like, you know, your child's going to be born with Down syndrome. You don't want to be saddled with that. As if somehow God didn't create that child too. You know, we're going to take care of God's mistake. He screwed the kid up. We don't want you to suffer with that for your entire... So we'll just kill the kid.
2: I know. I remember being so annoyed when, I don't know if it was Holly or Melanie I was pregnant with, and the doctor kept bringing up getting tested you know, for, I don't remember what it was, Down syndrome probably. Um, and I was like, well, so what if my baby is born with Down syndrome? Like, what's the point in testing? And yeah, abortion was one of the reasons he mentioned.
1: Well, right. And this like, is why we need to quit oh lifting just generally is like broad generalization of doctors in the medical profession, holding them up on some kind of pedestal I mean, because these guys, you know, these Canadian healthcare professionals, is this article outlines these people are recommending without being prompted to these patients to kill themselves. They're, you know, they're the transgendered um, elementary school teacher equivalent in the medical field. Yeah. Where they're trying to groom your kid into sexual immorality. They're just trying to, you know, convince you to commit suicide and they want to help. How perverse is that? So they have no business being lifted on a pedestal. Someone just saying, oh, my dad's a doctor. I'd be like, yeah, I'll reserve my judgment at this point. (laughs) You know, so do you want to read this one last paragraph here? Just so we can get this um, Mm -hmm. disgusting story over with.
2: Um, The broad eligibility has led to more than 10,000 Canadians being euthanized in the most recent year for which data is available, making it the sixth leading cause of death in the country, the AP reported.
1: Think about that. The sixth leading cause of death is doctor-assisted suicide in Canada. That's insane. In a supposedly first-world, industrialized, advanced civilization, the sixth (laughs) leading cause of death is...
2: I wonder what the reasons are, because they gave all these... If they document the reason that the patient wanted to go through with it, what's the number one reason? Was it mental
1: distress? I would imagine it's a whole lot like the abortion industry. They probably, you know, on paper, they've got standards they're supposed to adhere to, you know, um, uh, life of the mother, you know, whatever sort of social distress. But really, it's just, you want an abortion? Just show up here. We'll fill out the forms. It'll look legit, you know, you know. Because some of these people in this article say they didn't even have the desire to die, and the doctors walk in are like, "Hey, you know, doctor-assisted suicide is a real option for you here." And like,
2: what? It's your well, healthcare choice. <laughs> it's your choice. But like,
1: this is a country <laughs> and a government of that country Ugh. that's telling its citizenry that the disabled. The old again, the poor somehow that gets lumped in here, or really anyone that can't just be a productive worker. Be they're telling them your life has no value. Like what? think how. Dev-
2: but what is it? Can it be my body, my choice? And if I want to get it done, no matter what, why do you have to tell me the reasons? What if you well, told? them? they're a not omen- going to just
1: kill you. They want you to kill yourself.
2: Yeah, but this is just this doesn't make sense in light of. Abortion though, because if it's my body, my choice, you don't need no. to have a one, you don't need to have one of those reasons as your reason for getting it. It's just that if you want to do it, you can do it with an abortion.
1: Right. You don't have to is, state
2: your situation.
1: They actually, I think, marry together perfectly well because it's about money. That's what's more sickening well, about it. I understand it, right? that. Yeah. The less babies, the less pregnancies, the less birth, that costs less money. And I just read another article. Unfortunately, I don't have it here. But they were talking about doctors, you know, complaining about what the burden is of these severely disabled people. And, you know, people with ALS that are just a lifetime of medical treatment. And it's such a burden. Well, if you can kill the babies, so you don't have to have the births, if you can just kill the elderly, the sick, the poor who can't pay for this stuff that are a drain on the system, you're freeing up more money. Um, So, I mean, I think they work together perfectly. And it's just so devoid of any sort of morality. Um, And just even the idea of having any sort of biblical truth. um, You know, that you have to be completely bankrupt of anything biblical, anything moral, anything virtuous inside of your own heart and soul to think that this is somehow positive for society. Well, it's just that
2: it's like gender affirming, but it's like. Suicide affirming now.
1: Yeah, that's 100% what they're doing. That's what Air Trudeau in Canada <laughs> wants you to do. And I just pulled up, you know, Ephesians 6 2 here, right? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live, and uh, you, or that you may live long in the land. You know, in Canada, screw that. You know, what a stupid verse, right? They get old, they become the slightest burden. Just convince them to kill yourself or kill themselves and you'll be free, right? That's the Canadian standard of morality. So you've got on one end, like we were just, Nikki was talking about the abortion industry. You know, it's already done so much harm, like it even tried to do to her, right? Convincing parents that children with disabilities are a burden, they should be killed in the womb. And now they can tell you that if you were too stupid to heed their advice while you were pregnant, you know, don't worry, you still have... Plenty of options that you don't have to be saddled with this little disabled burden. Even after it's born, um, you can just get it killed. And I just want to make the point on this because the idea of what's Christian in our world anymore and what's biblically um, sound and acceptable seems so, uh, I don't know, seems to have been broadened so much. I just want to make the point that... (laughs) This is anti-Christ thinking. Um, This is not a Christian mindset in any way, shape or form. You cannot hold these beliefs and claim to have, or claim to adhere to biblical Christianity in any way. This is suicide. You wanna call it doctor assisted, it's suicide. Um, You cannot support this sort of policy. It's government-endorsed suicide. And like I said, it's for the worst reason. They want you to kill yourself because they need more money, and you're just a gigantic drain on the system. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, think about the things people, like, think about what they're thinking of other human beings. It's just satanic. Um, I don't know how else to classify it.
2: Like, they didn't think of this idea for the good of others. This idea no. wasn't like, oh, how can we how can we ease pain and suffering? This didn't come from a heart of compassion, this whole idea.
1: No, but it's that's just, even more perverse because they they're gonna sell it. it to you like it's a compassionate thing. Right. Yes. When really they're just Xing you off their payroll. That's all it is, freeing up some extra cash for climate change.
2: This is such a weird topic because there's so many people who haven't actually thought about this and had those ideas planted in their mind for them to even agree or disagree with
1: it. Well, and that's why we talk about it here, because we've mentioned on this show before, I mean, we've talked about Canada a few times. The people that are currently running our country are people in line with the same type of thinking as Air Trudeau up in Canada. Um, The only difference is a constitution down here that doesn't allow them to go you know, full 1930s Nazi euthanasia programs. Um, But just the entire modern liberalism platform is satanic. You know, we got gender mutilation we've talked about on here, aborting your child, you know, if they're going to cause you any sort of difficulty or have to sacrifice at all, just abort them, right? Now, if you become anything less than the peak, you know, peak productivity of a human well, go kill yourself because you have no value left to society. The only value that you have in modern liberalism is monetary, materialistic. Can you help mm-hmm. prop up the global corporations? No, you're poor. Well, go kill yourself then.
2: It's like the healthcare system, doctors, they, I mean, used to be seen as like a a noble position, but now, nowadays you hear doctor And you think of the worst kind, you think of all the ones we've talked about, the ones that put children through transgender surgery and, and now this, I mean, there's so many doctors now that are, they are in it for money. Nobody thinks when they're in high school, like I'm going to be a doctor that does transgender surgeries. Like they're going to start coaching these kids when they take their, these little tests, you know, in school of what. You're likely to be, or what area, you, what field you should get into. Like, are these going to be on that list?
1: <laughs> yeah, it used to be like the sign of a psychopath was like, does your kid like hurt animals? Does he like, you know, rip the heads off of dolls? And like, now they're going to be like, oh, he does do that. He should be a doctor. That's <laughs> right in line with the modern He has no profession. compassion.
2: He's crazy. Yeah. He'll make some good money.
1: Does he just do that for money? Yeah. Oh, he could go work for the CDC then. Yeah, it's just crazy. But um, we got more to get to. Is there anything else you want to say on this story before we roll on?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say like, just them falling back on like last resort for someone to have physician assisted suicide is them just admitting medical science has failed and helping them in their distress, their dilemma like you wouldn't need this as an option if medical science was all it claims to be.
1: Yeah, no, true. And um and again, that's why people need to know about this because you know, you go to someone when they're the most vulnerable, when they're the most distraught and in pain and all these sorts of things. And if this is the message that they hear in a weakened state, you know, distraught, who knows what people are liable to do, but that's why it's important to make sure they hear of the word of God, if they hear about, you know, paradise, and if they hear about, we suffer now so that we can reap a reward later. And mm-hmm. it helps you to press on and press through and remain faithful. And, um, but if you don't hear any of that, you know, it's just, it's sad. This is what it results in. This what is about?
2: What... Oh, sorry. I was just thinking like, what about all those? Just think of like, prisoners. Where's their hope? Like, are they going to like, try and, you know, convince them? Who are they going to go after? Like these big groups of people? What about kids in foster care or, I don't know.
1: Well, that's the problem, right? When you have a government that's this satanic, this devoid of morals and virtues, nobody's safe. Uh, No, like... You know, you might think, well, thank goodness, I'm not disabled and poor and old. Not yet. Now, when people comment
2: really, on social media, go kill yourself.
1: Yeah. You're it's like, actually, I it's can be, you know, because this is what World War II was, right? This is how the Nazi program started. We're getting rid of the disabled, and pretty soon it just becomes like, yeah, we don't like Jews. We're just gonna start killing them off, too. And it's just, you know, those people that hold the political views that we don't really like. We're going to start killing them off too. Um, And it's always inevitably going to be the people with the Bibles. We don't like them. Because Satan never likes the people with the Bibles. Um, And they're going to come for us. So, yeah, horrifying. Um, Not terribly unexpected from Canada. But something to be aware of here. um, Because, yeah, I mean, they're right on our northern border. People Mm -hmm. running our country are the same people running Canada. But um, we'll keep this thing moving here. Uh, Do you want to read this next headline here?
2: Activist pimps. Mom blasts school board for promoting family-friendly Halloween drag show.
1: What's more (laughs) family-friendly than a Halloween drag show? Oh, man. you want to read that paragraph?
2: Okay. Parents are rallying behind a mother who blasted a Southern California school district Fritz plans to host a family-friendly Halloween drag show, which she said amounts to pimping out our kids in an already hypersexualized culture.
1: I would say she's right. Um, do you want it's to just, read this yikes. last paragraph here?
2: She told the board, you all played the activist pimp for a line surgical center and for a 21 plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps, and we won't have those sitting on a school board that oversees the education of our children.
1: Yeah. So I guess, you know, the story kind of goes on. There was some, you know, transgendered sort of surgery clinic that partnered for whatever reason with a school hmm. to put on a drag show. Really you know, yeah. they got a market, right? Go get them while they're young. Gosh, um, And, you know, we've seen a lot of these stories <clears throat> recently, the teacher going out. Or the, you know, the parents, you know, kind of finally having enough with the school board. And
2: was this an elementary school?
1: Um, uh, it just says the Encinitas Union School Board. Oh, was the
2: school board. Yeah, I guess um, she's just going after
1: the. But. I did want to make one comment here because she mentioned in there,
2: not a school, she
1: said it makes you groomers and activist pimps. And I would just, for my clarification, it doesn't make you a groomer. It doesn't make these people a groomer. They are groomers. They (laughs) They were already groomers, right? This is what you do if you are already a groomer. You don't become a groomer once the drag show shows up to your elementary school. You were a groomer in the first place. Because again, normal people with a biblical mindset, you know, they see this sort of sexualization or sexualizing children. Um, and it's horrifying to them, right? But if you're a groomer, you have no problem with sexualizing children. Because I would assume, as we've talked about, that's their end goal, anyways. Pedophilia is something they're going for. So yeah, they are actively trying to groom your children into sexual immorality. So just a I mean a nitpicky point. This isn't making them groomers. They are groomers. Like
2: these kids think that that's family friendly. Like this is just a perpetual just a generational disease, you know, like teaching them this is normal for family and this the destruction it causes, like... Well,
1: and that's what should really be horrifying to you, like, once you're there yelling at the school board about the drag show, it's the time for you to reflect back that, like, I've had my kids in these schools with these groomers for how many years now? You
2: think there's none in your kid's school? And I'm just
1: finding out about it? Right. How much have they filled my kid's head with this perverse, you know, wicked mindset of you know transgenderism homosexuality
2: right if again, they've gone this far like that's bad you know and again what else has been going on it's not that bad. who
1: knows what they're setting them up for later i mean and there was this one paragraph in here god bless this man's soul oh
2: i know that one really stood out to me too um,
1: this fella justin reed it says a parent of two children who is also running for school board was quoted as saying, we certainly want to be an inclusive community and support groups of all kinds. But the question is where do we draw the line? And sadly, I'm sure Justin Reed had a good heart in this, um, but I would guess, you know, Justin Reed would be as much of a problem as the groomers that are already on the school board. Because this sort of, you know, these Justin Reed type people, um, the spirit of the age, you know, groomers, these groups like Align Surgical, they're going to steamroll the Justins of the world. You simply cannot make room for this. If your mindset going in is like, well, listen, I'm all for inclusivity, but just not in this room. You're dead. They're going to kill you. They're going to steamroll you. Um, you have no chance. You simply cannot exist in the same civilized society with these people. And I think that's the problem <clears throat> that we aren't coming to grips with yet.
2: So this guy is not on the school board. He's running.
1: He's running. And he's probably trying So he to... doesn't
2: know what he's getting himself into, maybe?
1: <laughs> well, no. And that's the problem, right? Because he, in his mind, probably thinks, oh, this is outrageous. We need to make a change. But his mindset there is like, well, I already support, you know, hey, listen, I support the transgender you know, agenda, just not in my schools, but
2: he should have said, like, you don't
1: stand a chance.
2: Yeah, the line is drawn way before this situation.
1: Yeah, he should have said the line is drawn with transgenderism is a sin, according to the God of the Bible. And we won't tolerate it. (laughs) They better get some Christians on
2: that board if they want to be inclusive.
1: So um, good luck with that. But you know, the problem is why the Justin Reeds of the world won't do anything. Because they demand the spirit of the age groomers. They demand acceptance of their deviant lifestyle. And if you don't, you'll be under attack. You know, and we've talked about this before. We're in spiritual battles against forces of darkness, principalities and powers. And our children's souls are on the line. You cannot give up ground to this. You can't go in and go, well, listen, I already I'm on board. But just, you know, tone it down a bit. No, it has to be like, you know, this is a war, it's you or us, right. And until we have that mindset, I just, you don't stand a chance.
2: It's like you have to do your research on who is on the, the board for the school district. And you got to like do your research on these people. And I never thought of doing that before, though, like who is on the school board?
1: Right. And a good rule of thumb, just to start with, is if you go to school, your kids go to school in California or in New York, that's a good place to start. They're groomers. I mean, I don't know.
0: I yeah, would just assume, yeah,
1: I would go in assuming yeah. that your kids are being groomed and then, you know, start doing some digging. But also, I really just have a problem with this. I think I've talked about this before. I'm certainly glad that these people stood up and that they gave them an earful, you know, they let them have a piece of their mind. But I just think it's a half-hearted effort, you know, no matter how angry you get, how heated you get, how many, you know, pornographic books you read at a school board meeting. Because as long as you continue to send your kids to the schools, your words are just words, right? You continue Mm -hmm. to send your kids there. You continue to elect, you know, we're going to have a big change. We just elected Justin Reed to the school board to clean it up. He doesn't know how to draw anything, right?
2: He so, doesn't know where to draw a line. Why is he running? He just disqualified himself with that question.
1: Right. Because the the, word, the place to draw a line is in scripture, which means there is no line, right? <laughs> so, you know, and the thing is, is if you want to make a change, my opinion, just religionless Christianity podcast opinion, you know, you want to make a change, you want to protect your kids, you have to get them out of school, um, especially if they're in a public school. But I would even start questioning private schools, because um, the real revolution that needs to take place isn't just shouting at school board members Mm-mm. about pornographic books and drag shows, right? The real revolution is removing your family from these cesspools of wickedness.
2: It's just it is removing your family from the world, and it doesn't matter if it's a private school or not. It like everything's got to like start over.
1: No, it has to be reset and. You know, that starts with getting your kids out of school, them losing the funding from not having the kids around, mm-hmm. a purging right. of this idea. And, you know, maybe starting your own. I mean, co ops. It's yeah. you know, like I talked about, we're not rebuilding America, we're not fixing it. It's a complete do over, right? We almost have to look at it that way and go back to how did we start before, right? People were homeschooling. Yeah, how they do were we working be separate? In the land. We, like-
2: yeah, we're supposed to be separate from the world in practical matters as well, because it's in the world that you pick up the world's practices. Just like in the Old Testament, like Israel was set apart in very specific, practical, outward ways um, in order to make it harder for them to associate or have anything in common with the surrounding cities. Um, yeah, God just made it difficult for any excuses to be made. And I think, why don't we do similar, obviously not exactly similar things, but I mean, you can think of very easy ways to be separate.
1: No, I mean, we absolutely have to start, you know, we're told to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that's a problem with Christians. You know, they, they we're just unwilling to give up the, Comfort and the luxury of modern life. And, you know, the government's doing us no favors. I mean, life in our country has gotten pretty difficult to live on a single income and allow the wife to stay home and raise children in a godly home. And homes like it's gotten very difficult. And I would say it's gotten that way on purpose. I don't think that's accidental. Um, I think the spirit of the age doesn't want godly women in the home. They want them out in the workforce, um, so I would think that's intentional. But you know, we've this is I think where the revolution needs to begin as Christians beginning to sort of, you know, bolster our our strength and getting back and pulling away from the wickedness that's infesting everywhere. I mean, it's great to go shout at a school board meeting, um, but removing ourselves and our kids from that wicked cesspool,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, from this sort of rampant materialistic society uh that's where the revolution needs to start so. yeah
2: and it's not all just the only worry isn't about this family friendly uh drag queen show like it's so many other things in the schools that it's not going to be fixed like christians aren't going to take over the school boards like that's not happening that's not the answer well, not like
1: even when there's only six percent of the country has a biblical worldview, yeah, <laughs> yeah, enough like, for them to run school. Really,
2: boards. the only way to protect your kid is to get them out of school. Like, don't just fight those seemingly bigger battles. It's all the little ones you don't see. Like, you don't know the books that are in the library, and just the, just the culture, just all the other like we've talked about before. It's just the peer well, pressure from the other kids them that and, they
1: just came from fish and they're nothing more than yeah. a collection of cells and all sorts of stuff. So. But also, here's another one. If you need more evidence to get your kids out of public schools, uh, I think just today or maybe yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, it says in one of the more indefensible decisions of the pandemic, the CDC Advisory Committee unanimously voted Wednesday to add the COVID-19 vaccine to the Vaccine for Children's program. Um, So wonderful, right? So if you, you know having your kids overly sexualized by groomers that want to lead them to hell through sexual immorality, that's not enough for you to get your kids out of school. Maybe mandatory COVID-19 vaccines that don't work and kids don't need it. Maybe that'll help spur you to say enough is enough. Maybe these are good things
2: that are happening to really,
1: maybe, I mean, it'll
2: save some children,
1: but you know, thing is, it's just our kids need it, right? Because we see the studies everywhere. We hear the stories, we see it on the news and stuff, our kids are slipping into this sort of, you know, postmodern materialistic abyss that our country is and our world is. Um, and if we aren't teaching them, you know, as far as parents, godly parents teaching them, we're just going to compound the problem. And our whole nation, our whole society and world is going to suffer the consequences of that sin. Um, if we allow them to engage in it, you know, so what are we teaching our kids? And I saw this headline and it was stunning. Do you want to read this?
2: Eight out of 10 teenagers expect to cohabitate study finds.
1: Yep. And then I'll just read this first. I just grabbed these. It says a teen from Texas reflected. I feel like nowadays it's not really as important to get married, especially for people of my age and generation. The reason reason being is that we're being taught by our parents and educators that our education should come first in order to have a stable life financially and career wise, which causes many young people or many people to neglect the thought of marriage. Not only that, but society has also made marriage seem like it should be like the least important thing for a person to think about.
2: Well, that's true.
1: Well, it's true. They do
2: make it seem that way. I
1: would say maybe maybe this kid's been to Canada recently and realized if I'm not the most productive worker on the planet, uh, I'm liable to be, um, you know, coaxed into doctor assisted suicide. I don't know. But think about that, right? He says, yeah, you know, the most important thing is to get a good education so that I can have stable finances. Yeah, when your whole world is consumed with materialism, so marriage, so
2: I think women like me, like homemaker were useless and they would try to convince stay-at-home moms.
1: Well, oh, the whole to... world would tell a woman that a stay-at-home mom is worthless, right? And they wouldn't even tell you you're worthless. They were they wouldn't just tell you you're worthless. They would tell you you're probably actively working against the cause of women. Because don't you know, women only make 77 cents on the dollar, as we're told, we need more women in the workforce. You know, they'd be feeding them these lies and set, you know, because again, those are lies. God defined the best place for a woman. And her first and primary duty is to raise a godly home. That is her first and primary duty. Um, so yeah, not only are you worthless, but doggone it, you're dragging other women down with you, don't you know? <laughs> But do you want to read this next paragraph? They had two kids sort of interviewed on here.
2: All right. Another student from North Carolina wrote, Asking if I want to get married someday is a poor question, in my opinion. Marriage is just a title, a contract. It only begins to matter once love is in the picture. I think it's acceptable to live with a romantic partner without having plans to get married. So they think they see a difference between romance and love. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I would assume they just equate, you know, love is, yeah, I mean, it's just a feeling. It's just the butterflies in the stomach and, but you know, here we go, our society. And of course we know this, we see this, right. They're pushing everything, you know, education comes before holiness, money comes before holiness, happiness comes before holiness. And you know, here a marriage, it's just for tax benefits, you know, who really cares if If you're in love, you're in love. It's all the same. You know, we'll live together. We'll sleep together. And heck, we'll have kids together. What does it matter? Marriage is just a thing. And, you know, this only happens really, I would say, in a world where material success and social standing is really takes the highest priority. And I think that's the world we find ourselves in. I think it's the world our kids are growing up into. Um, which again, why it becomes so vitally important to pull them out of that world as quickly as you can. Because mm-hmm. I think it's just plain and simple, we need to do a better job with our kids. Um, you know, we're selling our kids out really by failing um, to teach them to live up to biblical standards, failing to teach them to live in ways of righteousness. And marriage is a biblical standard. Um, marriage is a beautiful thing in God's sight. It's God-ordained institution. Um, It's more than just, uh, is it romance? Is it love? Is it a tax filing? Yeah,
2: it's sad that they don't, they don't see anything sacred about it.
1: Well, and the the easy thing, I'm afraid, and I'm afraid people might hear this and think the easy thing, because the easy thought would be, well, not my kid, (laughs) right? My kid doesn't think that. And maybe you're right. Um, Maybe your kid doesn't. He's one of the good ones. But I just wouldn't rest on that thought. I would say you'd better double down on your instruction. Um, You better double down on your commitment to God as a family. And I would say you better double down on showing your children the joys of a godly marriage.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And even (laughs) not just your kids, but whenever they bring a friend around, tell them about it. Show them what it means and what it looks like. Invite them to the Bible studies because odds are they aren't hearing any of this in their own home. Mm-hmm. Odds are they come from a two parent or a two income family with both parents working full time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, divorce rates are what, 50, 55 percent? You know, so odds are they aren't hearing it anywhere else.
2: Yeah, the kids, a lot of them don't even know what marriage looks like. They don't know what. What it means to be a husband or a wife, they just play house. Like they don't know about commitment and sacrifice and just how marriage is um, an image of Christ in the church. I think teach them that. I, I think there is a lot of pressure on kids about finding that job and to be good at your job you know, when you're, when you're grown up. But I think we all the more, uh, yeah, teach teach our sons um, how to be good husbands. Like that needs to be more of something we talk about more than a job.
1: Well, and especially with daughters too. I mean, you've got to be teaching your daughters what a godly woman and a godly wife looks like because the garbage they're hearing from the world, you know, what this, you know, insane feminist society we find ourselves in, what they're being told about what is required of a modern woman is so far removed from what God expects from a godly wife and a godly woman. You've got to be teaching them that. Um, And I would be doing it intentionally, um, sitting down over intentional conversations, and then I would be praying and I would be striving to model that so that your daughters can see it, but also your sons can see it, what it looks like to be a godly wife, godly mother, and you know, someone who takes the family serious, and they see us, you know, not being slaves to materialist, you know, impulses, or, Mm -hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And they'll hate it when they're a kid, of course, they will. And you'll probably hate it for a while. You know, but again, hopefully, you're building those habit patterns, teaching them in ways of righteousness that as they get older, you know, they'll cling on to and they'll remember and they'll take with them because, What society is going to teach them? Yeah, get an education, go make a bunch of money, you know, buy nice cars and a big home. And as soon as you become unproductive, go to Canada and they'll kill you. And that's a good life in modern secular society. Um, Sounds horrifying to me. So it is. um, Do you have any last thoughts on any of the news topics that we've talked about before we roll into our review?
2: No, let's go ahead.
1: All right, so as we mentioned um, at the start, in place of the Bible topic today, we wanted to give our thoughts on um, the fairly new released um, documentary from the Daily Wire called The Greatest Lie Ever Sold. Um, it was done by Candace Owen, and if you're unfamiliar, you've never heard of the documentary, it's really a look at the Black Lives Matter organization, that's kind of how it's billed, And really the big question that they're trying to figure out or what they're trying to look at is what have they done with the roughly $80 million that they've received in donations since George Floyd's death? Um, It's a good
2: question.
1: Yeah, no, it was a good question. And um, the thing, you know, putting this together and thinking about this, I thought, you know, current American culture... (laughs) You know, and even those that this documentary kind of seems to want to question would probably tell you that Nikki and I are probably the least qualified people on the planet to review this documentary. You know, white, Christian, heterosexual, um, married, probably the least people on the planet qualified to review this. But of course, we would say they're wrong. Uh, Because I think people who say things like that, And you'll hear this a lot of times with like abortion and stuff. Yeah, if you're not a woman, you don't get a say. And people just Mm -hmm. say stuff like that to silence opposition, right? Yeah. Uh, If you're white, if you're, you know, cisgendered, you don't get a say. You don't get to say anything about this. And um, that's just not true, right? We can review this simply because we have brains. (laughs) And we're intelligent enough to hear what she has to say. And decide what to make of it.
2: All it is, it has nothing to do with... It's just following the money is what it's... That's all she's a trying A lot of it's about... It doesn't matter what color you are or any of the excuses they want to give. Like, you're just saying, okay, no, show me again, that's just, where that money went.
1: They're just trying to silence voices, right? Men can't talk about abortion as though somehow we're not involved in the pregnancy process. We don't understand what murder of a child is. Of course, we can talk about it, right? But it's just silencing opposition. So, um, the first point that I wanted to just kind of talk about here was, you know, just sort of a overview. So, what did you think of the documentary? Um, before we get into specific points, because you don't follow the news to that level, um, you know, right? There were the things in that there that were
2: that were new to me, but for Spencer, there were things. He already knew. He follows. Yeah, because she's he like, well, we need to news. talk
1: about George Floyd's death. And I'm like, I don't want to rehash that piece of it. People so, have heard There were it things that I
2: was like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. I mean, Maybe I, I should bring that up to some of my family members.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure for a lot of people that would watch this, they may show you some things about George Floyd, his death, and just the the video that you may not have ever seen before. But I didn't want to rehash the George Floyd piece too much. Because um, I don't think that was the intention of this documentary, at least not why I was concerned with it. Um, but it is interesting what they show about George Floyd and stuff you may not know unless you followed it pretty closely.
2: I mean, I obviously see as a really good documentary more than you do because I learned new things yeah. and you already knew some stuff. So I, I really appreciated it. Um, it cleared up a lot of stuff and had me... Um, just wondering why people still follow it all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, my first thoughts really, uh, overall, I just, I felt that this documentary was really just sort of preaching to the choir. You know, I think those that already sort of held to this sort of view or this sort of belief about the organization, I think they'll be encouraged. And I think those who disagree, you know, with this view of the organization, I think they'll continue to defend and ignore what's found here. Um, I don't think that it's a documentary on the same level of what is a woman. You know, we watched that and reviewed that. I think that documentary sort of has the ability to maybe even sway the opinions right, um, of those who would have otherwise been in that sort of pro-LGBT transgenderism camp you know, as they sort of expose kind of that disgusting lie. Well, these
2: brutality. documentary documentaries are connected in that way.
1: In a sense. In a yeah, sense they are. Yeah, I just don't think I think Matt Walsh's was on a different level. Um, But I think Candace Owens, you know, again, was kind of preaching to the choir. I don't know that it's going to change a lot of minds watching this one. Um, But I do still think it's important. And I think it's important. Uh, even for those of us who agree with Candace Owens, maybe what she finds and what she's investigating for the fact that we need to realize that these are people that are being taken advantage of here. Um, So many of the people that support the, but the BLM organization from like a ground level, they support it. And, you know, they've been convinced to support this thing and maybe they do and they're being taken advantage of. And that should really provoke us to love and justice and not like a hatred or a dismissal of all of it. Because we have that tendency as humans to sort of lump everything together for simplicity and think all of BLM is bad and we're just going to hate and dismiss all of it. When really, you know, the people on the ground level and, you know, these, they may have had good intentions and they maybe thought that this was going to help them in some sort of plight, and they were being taken advantage of and they didn't realize it. So I think it's good for us to sort of, you know, from that perspective, to love these people, right? Not just dismiss right, them right. and hate them. So um so the second thing about this is the documentary, it only went back to the death of George Floyd, and it really spent a lot of time on it, more than I would have expected. It spent a little over half of the documentary, it seemed like just sort of reminding the viewer um, of what brought us to this sort of place here. And again, if you're like Nikki, and you're unfamiliar with a lot of the uh, history or intricacies of George Floyd and what happened there and Derek Chauvin and all these sorts of things, it does highlight that pretty good. And it goes really into depth and stuff. If you just watched sort of cable news about this, you may not have seen or heard. Um, So I think that That piece of it is important if you want to, you know, learn a little bit more about that. But I personally wish that they would have spent a little bit of time sort of discussing BLM pre-George Floyd, you know, going back to 2013, 2014, you know, with Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and those sorts of things when BLM was just sort of being put together. I think that would have been an interesting thing to discuss. Um, but I did think. The footage again, it's retreading some footage that you may have seen before. Um, but just sort of remembering what that time was like in this country you know, the summer of 2020 and the riots that were going on, they highlight that here. And man, it's good to remember that because it was far worse in the summer of 2020 than what they're trying to portray, like January 6th. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you know, our media the liberal politicians, they want us to believe, you know, that our nation was like teetering on the brink of collapse during the Capitol Hill riots. Um, But even today, and they were doing it at the time that the riots were going on, right? They were completely dismissive about the amount of damage, the terror that was happening um, around the country, because this was all over the place. Um, Completely dismissive of all that stuff that BLM and these riots were causing in 2020. And I think really the main difference in the summer of 2020, you know, they were just destroying our lives, right? <laughs> the serfs, you know, the, the plebes, they were just destroying our life. Whereas January 6th, the danger and the uh, destruction was really on the doorstep of, you know, our American nobles, if you will, right? Our dear leaders. So that's the big difference. The amount mm-hmm. of damage doesn't matter. It's you dared to bring this to our doorstep. Go and burn your right. pathetic cities to the ground. Don't <laughs> you dare come to our castle. Um, so I did think that right. was interesting. I don't know what you thought about kind of rehashing that summer. And I mean, it was dangerous. It was scary for a lot of people. I mean, buildings being burned to the ground and people being shot and murdered it's all over just the place. It's crazy
2: how people can so easily get worked up over whatever the media however, they want to twist um, how people just believe it just like that, no question. And they want to make it be about what they say it's about.
1: Well, and that's what this documentary did good. And we may touch on this in some future points. But media narrative was certainly highlighted in this in the the way media steered it, which we've talked a lot about on here, but also just the way that these sort of, you know, stuff that we as normal citizens don't realize these sort of organizations that are existing, just to fund this sort of chaos, they exist, and people mm-hmm. like BLM fund them to go and create this chaos. Um, and we as normal citizens, we don't understand that world, but it certainly exists. And this documentary highlights mm-hmm. that so um, yep. And that'll I guess is our next point here. So one of the interesting pieces of evidence um highlighted in the documentary was candace owens you know she got blm's tax returns from a certain year and was going through the list of all the companies that they donated money to um and i forgive me i can't remember the name of this company they called a bunch of companies none of them answered the phone some of them were like out of business the phones didn't work they were like fake organizations
2: i don't think for that one they could say what it was the one that was bleeped out
1: oh you're right yeah this was the bleeped out this yeah. was the yeah so they didn't get the company name there was another company that they named in there but she oh, did get man. one company on the phone when she got them on the phone she was basically kind of you know asking like hey if I want to donate money to you you know how would you use that money and they basically told her on the phone and they got it in the documentary right that they trained and sent activists you know they were basically existed to create professional protesters they would bail out protesters they helped to transport and support the protests around the country. I remember well,
2: seeing things people would share online, like a job opportunity.
1: And yeah. I'm like, I bet those were actually real. Right. And apparently they will. And we all remember, I mean, if you followed this stuff that, um, you know, there were stories coming out during those riots where people are like, I mean, there's so many people in the city that no one knows. Like, how did this many people show up here this quickly for a riot? And even the stories that you heard where people are like, and there's like Palace of Bricks set up Just near randomly. these riot locations. Yeah, I remember like, hearing that. What is this happening for? And um, it looked staged. Well, turns out, at least if this company is to be believed, yeah, it was staged. It was designed. It was provoked and stoked in a lot why of ways. Would it,
2: why is it impossible like, to believe that, you know, that that could happen, like well, and it's almost it's like it's not hard to organize.
1: And it's almost like BLM, the organization, was basically, you know, feeding their own, I guess, coffers. Right? They get money when these riots go on and people get killed by police. Mm-hmm. So cause more chaos, so police have right. to do more, you know, policing, and then we just get more money. It's like you're just feeding yeah, yourself. Yeah, they off cause of the, the riot
2: to get more people riled up who are more apt to donate certainly what it looked like that's exactly what it is and then they say that they'll they promise bail out if anybody gets arrested who's part of
1: the yeah that was part of what they did we bail them out if they yeah uh, and we're willing to do
2: it if they're going to get bailed out i mean who would want to do that
1: yeah no it's it was really eye-opening and especially you know whenever you hear these uh you know sort of you know Project Veritas does this sort of stuff a lot where they kind of catch people saying things they probably otherwise shouldn't say and you know here with BLM they're like yeah we just send professional protesters around the world and you know around the country to burn your city to the ground so really eye opening there yeah. um but one of the uh points that this documentary highlighted really well that was um really enlightening to me was really the connection between BLM to the trans rights movements. Um, yeah. They highlight, highlighted more than a few, um, quite a few companies.
2: I was just like, oh, another one and another yeah, one and another kept one. It going
1: and going, right? <laughs> of these companies that BLM gave large donations to, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to, and all of them were these trans rights organizations. Um. And for a while now, you know, and I might've even mentioned it on here, talked with some other people about it, you know, had this thought or, you know, this, yeah, I mean, I really just thought like, how did um, this black civil rights cause in this nation um, somehow turn into a platform to just serve and support the trans movement? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. They're completely different things. Um, Because BLM really started, again, with the Trayvon Martin, the Michael Brown type stuff, Um, even Colin Kaepernick back in the day in 2016, right? It was a movement kind of birthed out of um, what they believe with police brutality. So how does a Mm -hmm. movement that wants to stop police brutality become a movement tied to the hip with trans rights? Makes no sense. Trans people aren't being beaten by the police you know unnecessarily that doesn't seem to be some sort of epidemic in this country so how did it happen um uh, well this docu documentary if it's to be-, uh, be believed of course um it's because really BLM's founders are gay women and one Patrice Colors uh from what it showed I think is dating or married to a trans girl <laughs> And it really just seemed that simple.
2: She's married to a girl that got surgery to be a man.
1: Sure. That's what it looks like. Call it. I think that's what it was. It's a girl that just tried the to transgression gender- of the pictures, transition, whatever that is called, I guess. Um, but I was like, boy, is it really just that simple? Like the black civil rights cause has been tied to the hip, to the trans right movement or trans rights movement simply because like the founder of BLM is a gay woman, married or dating whatever a transgendered woman.
0: It seems to be her
1: interests lie. It just seems that simple. Um,
2: I don't know why she made a was it a tweet video when Candace showed up to interview.
1: Yeah, there was a part Why would she
2: even bring up the fact that Candace showed up. Why would she even make a video
1: on it? I wondered like because there's never a time to waste being a victim in today's society. Right. Um, you know. So yeah, she I just guess. wanted to go on there and be a victim. She's being uh, somehow abused by Candace Owens showing up to her house and wanting to talk. Um, that was enough. And you know, again, her supporters are gonna be completely on board with that. You know, Candace Owens, the devil, Patrice Colors was being harassed. Um I think it's just all the more. I
2: mean, because of that video, people are gonna watch this. You know,
1: maybe. But again, you know, as I mean, polarized as our followers. world is, the people who already believe it will defend her, and the people who don't will probably watch the video and be more encouraged. You I don't know. know. Or whatever, I, I
2: wonder all the people who do. Like, I, I hope so. I, I, mean, I, I hope think people it, watch it would open when they realize where their money's going because there's BLM supporters who are, they don't support trans. So I think there would be a lot of people upset.
1: Well, and that's what, um, again, why I go back to saying, you know, we should see this and be encouraged and have love and compassion for these people. Because yeah, a lot of them don't, right? And maybe some of them are like, I don't know how this became a thing to where we're just joined together. You know, I'm not comfortable with it. But, you know, I know if I speak out against Trans rights—that somehow I'm speaking against all you know injustice in the country somehow, which doesn't make any sense. But you know, it just seemed to me watching this with Patrice Colors in this little segment that they had. You know, my thought was just like to her at least, and some of the founders of BLM, the trans rights issues are, you know, in fact, more or at least of equal importance to the black lives. In um, their plight in this country, that they would call it, like the trans rights are on at least an equal footing, um, and I think it's important to point out, you know, because like there have been many, you know, well-meaning folks and even black folks, you know, that believed in this cause of police reform um, for the betterment of black lives. Re- you know, regardless of what you think of it, they actually believed in that. They believed that the police system. The justice system needs to be reformed. And that was kind of their mindset, right? Um, And like Nikki said, maybe they don't want their money going towards gender mutilation of their children, right?
2: I don't know how they're going to get more donations now if people know they're not supporting.
1: Well, the problem is people have to know and people have to be upset about it. They have to be driven to action and not just be... Stirred into a frenzy by the latest, you know, because again, there's, and whatever you think of Derek Chauvin and George Floyd and stuff, there's a reason why those isolated incidents become national headline stories. It's to drive to this point, to the riots, to all this sort of stuff, to push a liberal media agenda. So, um, my hope is, yeah, they would see this and be like, yeah, I did not sign up for the transgenderism movement. Like, I'm not cool with my donation going to, you know, sexually pervert our children in schools, right? Like, that's not something I'm down with. Um, Because again, a lot of people that may support BLM for the police brutality justice reform part of it, they may still hold to a Christian worldview, which they do highlight in this documentary. George Floyd appeared to have held, he may not have supported what BLM was using him for to further advance right he might have been opposed to it who knows so um and that's my next point here they did make a point in the story or in the documentary um to sort of highlight or i think they even made the exact point that george floyd um you know if this were an honest society is really a story of addiction and not racism Mm -hmm. um they made that point clear and Um, Like we said, George Floyd was highlighted a lot for really the first half of this. Um, They looked at his, you know, the story of, you know, his death and all of that stuff. But they also went and looked at his home life. And I've never seen that, you know, before they talked to his roommates at the time. And the roommates and stuff was kind of interesting. They talked about how, you know, George Floyd would read his Bible every day, they would pray together these mm-hmm. you know people living together every day. Now again, could certainly be blown out of proportion, right? They could just be making this up. Who knows? But I certainly hope it's true. <laughs> you know, my hope is that George is in heaven right now, probably looking down and being like, "What in the world are people using my name for right now?" I know. Like, that is, I mean, that's my hope, right? But they did make it pretty evident that George. And you know we've heard stuff about this before, um, and I, maybe my ears peaked up to this or perked up to this because I talk to guys like George every Monday. You know, I've told you guys I do the jail ministry on Mondays, and I see guys and talk to guys like this every single week. Um, you know, they believe in God, they desire to understand the Bible, um, they seem to desire to sort of. Be open to the message of the gospel. They seem to desire to kind of live a life that God would command them to live. Um, And I think for a lot of them, and maybe even for George, I don't know, but I know for the guys I talk to, it seems authentic, you know, when I talk to them. And, you know, the sad thing is, is like the devil, he's just not going to let them go so easily, right? And the flesh is stronger than the spirit in many of them. That's just the way it seems. And it seems to be that way for George as well, right? So they continue to fall back into these old habits. Um, And what's interesting is when I talk to these guys in the jail, they're very aware of the label of a jailhouse religion. And most of them are afraid of being labeled that way.
2: What does that mean, a
1: jailhouse religion? You know, it's like, I go to jail and somehow I catch religion and I'm, you know, into the Bible because really... I think it'll help me get out earlier. And then as soon as I get out, I'm right back to the same deviant lifestyle. Oh. You know, the the religion was just a was a front. It wasn't real. Okay. Um and they're aware of that. And they're like, man, I don't want people to think of me as some, you know, call it this jailhouse religion. I want it to be real. And mm. they'll make that case to you. And obviously we want it to be real as well. And um, but again, they know, right? Because most of them are in there for their second, third, fourth time. And they know that they've left jail with this jailhouse religion and they've backslid and they've fallen back into their old lifestyles and into their sins and away from the Lord and all that stuff. And then they come basically limping back to jail, trying to get that religion back. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it made me think of your dad, you know, this was Mm -hmm. sort of your dad is what it made me, uh, really ponder because your dad was a good man, loved to have fun, full of joy, um yep. he loved God in his own way, as best he really understood him, but he couldn't stop falling back into his own ways, couldn't stop falling into those destructive habits. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ultimately he's no longer with us. And you're like, Man, you just wish that and you see George too here, right? You're like, ah, oh, if you could have just if the last time yeah. it could have just grabbed you, you'd still be here. Yeah,
2: and George was with his drug dealer that day. It is like your influences. But I know that's why I don't want to just assume like this roommate that was talking about him, George Floyd, reading the Bible every day. Like, I don't want to assume that, um, that they're making up stories about George Floyd. Cause, um, first I was thinking, oh, she's making it up. He was no way he was reading his Bible and, and praying. She's just saying it to make him look good. But I was thinking like, no, I was like, my dad, He prayed too. And, and he knew salvation is of the Lord. And he said, there's no way I could be saved on my own. Like he knew he had to rely on God's mercy alone. And he knew, he knew how wretched of a sinner he was. And he knew he was weak and kept falling back in the same patterns. And it's, I just know that the people you hang out with pull you back in and I know, I mean, my dad, he was a very social person. He was a people pleaser. And so it was really easy for that to happen to him. And I don't know, maybe George Floyd and a lot of other people, if they're a people pleaser and they have the wrong set of people in their life, it's hard for them to say, no, I can't be around you anymore. Like that's, that's hard. That's hard oh, it's really hard to do. And it's very unfortunate. But it, it doesn't mean that they weren't saved because we might deal with sin that's more inward. We can't hide it. And maybe their sin is outward and it's easier to judge their salvation, you know, if you want to say if it was genuine or not. But how many people hide things in their heart that you know, they're stumbling every day over thoughts or whatever things you can hide?
1: No, for sure. I mean, we definitely shouldn't hold ourselves in a place of more esteem than someone who's given to the sin of drug abuse and these sorts of things because you know you can hide your pornography addiction, right? That's easy to hide. Uh, you're not hiding it from the Lord, right? It all looks the same in the Lord's eyes. So, um, but you know, I just sort of with that George Floyd. And again, I hope it was sincere, but you know, just I don't think that first off, George Floyd <laughs> should be held, you know, responsible for what's transpired since his death. You know, certainly I don't think we should be like, ah, George ruined this country, you know. But he also shouldn't be held in a place of honor because of his death, you know, because his life certainly wasn't necessarily a place to be because, you know, they show in yeah. this documentary, I mean, he's almost deified in a lot yeah. of ways. When you go to these places, he's St. George Floyd and these memorials and you're like, all right, like only one person de- deserves to be deified, right? And that's Christ. But I think if anything, you know, he should be a cautionary tale. Um, really of both living um, a life in conflict with the law and how that really places you in a position of um, harm, puts you in harm's way. You know, again, I deal with these guys constantly, you know, every day or every week. And um, it's something that we try to talk with them about. But also, you know, of how not dying to what Paul, the Apostle Paul would call our old man, um, can really put your spirit in peril, Um, and it certainly undermines your testimony to the Lord. So if George was a man of God that he, uh, his roommates might've claimed him to be his lifestyle and his choices really damages that testimony. And it makes you think, it makes those who might hear it. Yeah. Well, the God, you know, God ain't strong enough to save George. Right. You know, and we should really consider that we want to represent the Lord as best we can. Not that we're ever going to be righteous and holy know completely but you know there's a reason why we lay those things down and we seek to you know chase after the lord with all of our heart and stuff and so i do think he's a cautionary tale in a certain yeah respect there so um just a few points to highlight left as we kind of wrap this um, review up so oh Crap! I forgot to pull up. I'll try to have their website up on the screen, but I went and read through BLM's just website. You can go to like blm.org or whatever it is. Um, And it looks like the website of a deranged cult when you go to their website. It's insane. I didn't see it
2: yet. Um,
1: (laughs) It's just a website that looks like, I mean, I guess you would imagine, they just idolize race above everything. There's even a section, like a... On their homepage, and you can click the link and go deeper into it, where they talk about the divinity of black women. Like, I think that's literally Mm. a quote, like, the divinity of black women. Like, it's a form of religion, and it's just super creepy. (laughs) It's weird. I would certainly encourage you if you want to, boy, if you want to help with police reform, support, um, you know, black people in this country and the black, I don't know, uh, whatever the black plight in some way, I would encourage you to find a much more, uh, religious Christian based organization than whatever this sort of like race cult of weirdos is. (laughs) Um, first off they're giving your money to trans organizations. And secondly, they're pagan, they're, uh, idolaters. It's really it's a cold and gross. So yeah, so it uh, sounds like secondly, and this was just a funny thought that I had in my head. I thought, you know, after watching this documentary was like, if Patrice colors, and you know, BLM would have just made a rap song about how they stole these people's money, you know, how they bought mansions, cars, how maybe she's a bad chick, or like a boss chick, she would have made a song about that. People might have loved it right? Cause hip hop culture, it's made many a millionaires from taking advantage of those sort of people that follow hip hop culture made a lot of money of convincing people to live a lifestyle and support a lifestyle to their own detriment. So if BLM would have just made some cool hip hop songs about stealing people's money and how cool and what a boss chick she is, people would have loved it. Like, yeah, I mean, go kill somebody that makes me happy. Right Right in line with the kind of music. Uh, I just joke about that because hip-hop culture is a death culture. (laughs) Don't listen to it. It's terrible. Terrible for your soul. But thirdly, um, a real point that they made here, um, there was a segment where they focused on Chrissy Teigen, um, who I believe she might have been a model back in the day, maybe an actress or something. I know the name. I don't remember why she's famous. I know she's married to John Legend, who's a musician who's famous, but I think she was famous before that. Um, but there was this store owner, I think his name was Frazier Kittner, mm-hmm. and he had this shop you know, they talked about during the riots of 2020 was really you know, pillaged and destroyed for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and the documentary highlighted how he got kind of into a Twitter argument with Chrissy Teigen. Um, but then, really, some sort of blogger kind of came in to be a defender of Chrissy Teigen for some reason, came to her defense. Um, and this blogger really just made up some post about the owner being a racist. You know, be- he was a racist because he was mad that his shop got destroyed. <laughs> he didn't understand the plight wow. of Black Lives Matter. Um, so he was a racist and a bigot. But what was interesting about it was. To see um, how this whole thing, you know, these businesses and these celebrities, how they sort of get like strong armed into having to apologize to these people. You know, they show basically Mm -hmm. the lying and the smearing that goes on behind the scenes to force people into sort of towing this kind of party line or this company line. And it just made me think, you know, the next time that you see a business really accept blame for something they didn't do. Or go out and praise something that doesn't make any sense mm. really this is why they do it right because behind the scenes these what i would consider as these heartless activists are probably threatening them in some way like this business owner like dude we're gonna trash you as a racist and a bigot and you'll be out of business or your stuff will get pillaged more or just go and apologize tell everybody you were wrong and you're like what am i gonna do here you know you're being strong-armed and Now, to say all that, it doesn't excuse the person, the business, right, for not standing for the truth. I mean, they certainly should. But at least you can know um, that in many ways, they're probably doing it against their will. And, you know, they're just Mm -hmm. bending their knee to the mob in a sense. Um, Did you have anything on the Chrissy Teigen part? I just thought it was eye-opening to see sort of, that actually display where you're like, Oh, so that's how it works. That's how they get these, you know, mm-hmm. influencers and celebrities and businesses to either bend the knee or they just run them out of business.
2: Yeah. That was really eye Um, but it just, it's so petty, you know, you look at it and you're like, Oh, this yeah. is how the higher ups live and act. That's how they treat people.
1: Especially because Chrissy Teigen isn't black as far as I understand the blogger that trashed her wasn't black. They were just like these bleeding heart liberals that want to attach themselves to some cause because, you know, they're super rich and they live in the lap of luxury. So they want to pretend that they're down with the struggle or something. I guess, care. I don't know. Yeah. That makes them feel something, I guess. I don't know, but, um, yeah, pray for Chrissy Teigen's soul. I think she needs it, but that sort of feeds into the last point. Um, that I wanted to highlight here. And it was a point that Candace Owens made and she said it pretty bluntly. Um, she said, I think this is a direct quote. She said, the media is our enemy. And that is a point that we've made on this mm-hmm. show dozens of times, hundred percent support. And it's why we call them antichrist. It's why we call them satanic in a lot of respects. Um, they're liars and the truth is not in them. You know, we live in a time where the news media, the social media, they're not interested at all in exposing the truth, but rather they just seem interested in steering a narrative. Um, Again, 2020, the summer of 2020 was a perfect example of that. Um, That's what we saw all during those riots. Again, it's what we've seen during January 6th and all this nonsense of the January 6th commission and all these, you know, ridiculous things. It's, not exposing the truth, it's driving a narrative. Um, right? These were peaceful protests. George Floyd was a saint, you know, police are on the prowl for black people. Derek Chauvin's a racist monster. We saw all of that, right? Um, but then on the other hand, right, those riots were peaceful, uh, January sixth, you know, it's an insurrection. White supremacists, white supremacy is, you know, seeking to bring the nation down. Donald Trump is somehow the grand wizard of the KKK, right? It's all this secret plot to undermine elections, right? There's no truth there. It's just media defined narratives. Um, And we really live in a dangerous time. It's a time where it's really difficult to even be a truth seeker, even when you realize the lies, because you simply can't just jump on Google and go look for the truth. Because even there, right? Google's gonna set roadblock after roadblock, you know, they're gonna give you answers that they want you to find, they're gonna give you the answers they want you to come, you know, read and the conclusions to come to. You can't go to social media to ask those questions, because if you ask the wrong question, you'll be blocked or banned. And the people that have the answers that you may want to listen to, well, they're already blocked and banned, so you can't get it there either, right? So it's a dangerous time. You simply, you can't believe what you're being told, um, what you're reading. And I think that's why today in our world, you know, more than any time in my life, 37 years old, you must have a biblical worldview, Mm -hmm. which is why it's crazy. Only 6% of the country does. You must be in that 6%. Um, It is vitally important. You must have a biblical filter To everything you read, hear, and see. Um, It must go through that lens of Scripture. That's the only way that we can know what truth is from lies. It's the only way. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: And it can't be
1: what someone tells you the Bible says. Right. Um, Because again, we've seen how misleading that can be. You need to be in the Word of God yourself. You've got to be testing everything, everybody. Test me and Nikki. If we tell you something, don't take it as gospel truth, go and read it. The Bible has to be your filter. Yep. Otherwise, you're just the blind being led by blind. And the Bible says both of you will fall into the pit. And I think in our world today, I've never seen that more clearly displayed. Um, with our satanic media, their father is a liar. Um, you just simply mm-hmm. can't believe the truth or what they claim to be the truth.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking on how they, you know, you're talking about how they silence you. They just block you. You know, it's like they kill you off social media because yeah. that's where we have our voice. Like, where else do we go to speak to the masses of people? So I was just thinking of Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah. Um, he spoke to the masses and, you know, no social media. How do they block him? Oh, they kill him. So, the equivalent today is blocking. Oh, I know. There are some more sinister things. I know to silence those that they put in prison who might snitch. Yeah, they'll kill them. Yeah. Or, you know, or they hang themselves or...
1: (laughs) It can get more sinister, but yeah, no. I I just
2: mean they're silencing. They will. Like, I mean, thankfully, like we have social media... Because it is, I mean, I know we can be blocked easily, but it is a type of protection for us today. Like, we can speak the truth and they, you know, don't just come after you and physically harm you to silence you. But I mean, we don't have the boldness like Martin Luther or any of the others back in his day standing for the
1: truth. Like, we're
2: afraid of getting blocked. I mean, No, but they get burned at the stake.
1: More certainly need to have that that boldness. Um, now more than ever need to have that boldness and find ways to do it. That doesn't require, you know, using, using their platform, social media platforms. I mean, we're just as guilty of it. We're trying, you know, you're probably watching this on one of those platforms. (laughs) We're trying to figure out ways of doing it without utilizing these. Um, but it's difficult. They've sort of boxed us into this certain world here. And, um, you know, but it's just dangerous, man. You got to be in the word. You got to have a biblical worldview. It's the only way to understand truth. So do you have any last thoughts on anything we've discussed today? News, BLM, anything?
2: Oh, no. I mean, there's always more to say, but we can Um, end it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so for my sermon recommendation, like I mentioned, I'm going to offer up my sermon. Look at that good-looking fellow there in a yellow. Ooh. I rocked my Michigan colors because Michigan had a big win. Didn't tell anybody. It was secret. Only <laughs> me and the Lord knew. And Nikki, I think I told her. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that'll be on there. I think my sermon actually starts around 33 minutes in. And I wouldn't uh, be very pleased if you guys would go and listen to that. Um, and provide me some constructive criticism. I, you know, my first sermon ever delivered, and I know it can be improved on. And I was preaching on Psalm 141, kind of using that as a backdrop for living a life of faithfulness. So I would encourage you guys to go give that a listen while you're there. Hey, you know what? Go ahead and subscribe to our church's YouTube channel. Why not?
2: Yeah,
1: (laughs) You know, get some good biblical exposition every Sunday it's a good good place to be so that is all we got for you guys today we'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals we're still making our way through the 95 theses if you haven't checked those out or you haven't read the theses before from Martin Luther um, come give our devotionals a listen we just kind of highlight three each day give a little bit of insight or thoughts on the topics um, kind of where our Protestant faith was birthed from it's really interesting and then Uh, We'll be back on Saturday, hopefully, unless the world melts, talking about assurances of salvation. That is all we got for you guys. God bless.